This morning I'm continuing a series called Respond True, and I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 43. This morning's message title is, Looks Good, But Still Broken. I don't know if you've ever looked in the mirror and you thought, well, that'll have to do for today. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, sometimes, uh, maybe sometimes you say, and you look in the mirror and you say, looks pretty good. But uh, sometimes it's, it's just going to have to do. But you know, you know things about yourself that nobody else knows. You might look good on the outside. You may look good on the outside, but inside you're broken. There's things going on. There's faults, failures, foibles, all those kinds of things. But you do your best to clean it up and look good and, and take care of business and do the things that you need to get done during the day. You understand where I'm going with this? Some of you've re you might recognize the name Will Rogers in a time way back. He was a humorist, uh, known for his laughter and humor. But he was also known to weep. One day he was entering at Milton H. Berry Institute in Los Angeles. It was a hospital that specialized in rehabilitating polio victims. And so it kind of dates itself, right? and people with broken backs and other very extreme physical handicaps. And of course, Rogers had everybody laughing. Even the patients that were in really bad condition were able for just a short period of time to, to laugh with him. But he, all of a sudden, he left the platform and he went into the bathroom and Milton Berry, the owner of this facility, followed, in, followed him in to give him a towel. And, and when he opened the door, he saw Will Rogers leaning up against the wall, just weeping, just weeping and sobbing like a child. And so he closed the door, and then a few minutes later, Rogers appeared back on the platform as jovial as before. And I was thinking about that. When we started the church in 1994, I'm a, a, a contractor, I have a cabinet shop, and uh, I had no idea what I was doing planning a church. No training. Uh, I, looked, I thought I knew everything back then. I was a young guy. You know, young guys know everything. But I look back now, and God kept me or had me in what I would call a place of holy ignorance, right? That's not ne necessarily a bad place to be. Sometimes you have to be in that place to get things done for the Lord. But I remember about a year and a half into the church, you know, we were growing, but not exponentially. And and uh, I had done some cabinets for a mortuary that they owned three or four mortuaries, and I did all their cabinets for them. They were popping up, and I would do cabinets. And the owner approached me one day and said, Steve, how's the church doing? I go, yeah, we're, you know, we're about a year and a half old. We're going pretty good, and we're growing and stuff. He goes, I bet you could use more money. And I kind of looked at him and laughed. He goes, you know, I've been watching you, and I could sure use your help if you have the time. So he gave me an offer, and I, I took it. I, I, I had my cabinet shop, the church plant, and I was working at a mortuary. He said, you'll be doing a lot of the same things that you do as a pastor. You're going to be meeting with people and stuff. And I said, okay. So I'm about two weeks into this gig of working at a mortuary. Have you ever worked at a mortuary before? It's not the most exciting place to, to work, <laughs> although people are dying to get in there. But... Uh, 
So I'm about two weeks into it, and you know, one right after another, I'm meeting with families that are just in pain. They've lost their loved ones. They're, they're not, they're in pain. And I, so I'm meeting with families, one right after another. About two weeks of this goes on, and I, I made my way into the restroom, and I closed the door, and I just started weeping. I mean, it just, all of a sudden, it just hit me. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so much loss, so much pain. I wasn't used to that as a pastor. Periodically, you would do memorials or funeral services, but this was like five or six of them a day. And it just hit me, and it reminded me of this story about Will Rogers, who's in the hospital, and he sees all the pain and the struggle people are going through, and he goes in, and, and he just lets it loose. He weeps, and then he goes back out there and gets into character and, and does what he needs to do to get the job done. And it's like this. Somebody said, you really know what a person is like if you ask three questions. These are the three questions. What makes the person laugh? What makes that person angry? And what makes the person weep? And I think that's true. You really understand the, the heart of an individual with those questions. So we begin Matthew chapter 12. And I want to pray one more time. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I, I thank you. Uh, today is going to be accelerated. And so God, I pray that I do justice to this passage. I need your help. But I think the congregation needs more help because I'm preaching this. And uh, I pray that you'd minister and meet needs that are in here this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I'm in Matthew chapter 12, starting with ver verse 43. And Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, I know what you're thinking. There's a lot of new people here. And we're going to be talking about demons. And it, not a happy message. So, but I think it's essential. Listen to what Jesus says. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Verse 45, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. I want you to understand something this morning. That within the context of conservative Christianity, there, there's this thought, this really a passion to ha a, a resurgent in interest in morality and ethics. And, and, and as, as it should be, returning our nation to the religious and moral standards of its founding fathers. And I'm all for that. And so there's much effort in influencing our legislators and our political leaders to to assist America in moving back to where we were, at least to a place, we were never perfect, but at least to a place that uh, we come to where uh, we're glorifying God and we're not so vehemently against the things of God. But I want you to understand that Scripture also makes it very clear that morality itself, without a, re a right relationship with the Lord, morality in and of itself without a right relationship with the Lord is many ways more dangerous than immorality. 
case in point, the Pharisees. Jesus is talking. His audience there are people who are following him because he healed them. He ministered to them. He met their needs. But in the context of that audience, there's religious leaders as well. And these religious leaders, you think they would know or had known the scriptures, and they were very astute in the scriptures, but they missed the Messiah who they'd been waiting for. He's standing right in front of them, and his name's Jesus. They missed all of that. And they were so steeped in tradition and legalism and, and the standard, standards of rules and regulations that they just missed the whole point of what God had intended with his law to begin with. They, they lived a demanding code of system of laws that regulated every area, virtually every area of their life. I, I found this illustration that I think makes perfect sense. A man fell into a pit and he couldn't get himself out. I don't know if you, don't raise your hand, but I don't know if you've ever fallen into a pit, into a lifestyle, into a situation that you didn't like. Maybe initially you liked it, but you realize now, I've got to get out of this pit. A mercy person came along and said, I feel you down there. I really feel for you down there. Doesn't really help, does it? A realist person walked by and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. That's the religious leader. The mathematician calculated how deep the pit was. The news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. The IRS agent, you guessed it right, wanted to tax the guy for being in the pit. A self-absorbed person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A fire and brimstone preacher, I don't know that I fit that. You deserve your pit. A psychologist noted your mother and father are the blame for you being in that pit. A self-esteemed preacher, therapist said, believe in yourself and you'll get out of the pit. An optimist said things could be worse. A pessimist said things are going to get worse. <laughs> Jesus, seeing the man in the pit, reached down and pulled him out. Folks, that's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to save us from the pits of life. And so now we have a passage where the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had all these man-made standards that supposedly they thought were based on God's word and it led them further and further away from God and yet now you have Jesus's ministry that was a complete paradox I mean it was a flip of the script compared to what the Pharisees believed it he had he was ministering to prostitutes thieves extortionists murderers outcasts of society and yet he had an impossible time ministering, oh, a near impossible time, ministering to those who would say that they were religious or religious leaders, to be more specific. A.W. Tozer has been long gone, but he's known as a pastor to pastors, and he had a discipline of prayer. And in his study, he had an area where he prayed and, you know, he had that rug, and then under the rug he had the mat, or the pad, and then the wood floor, the oak wood floor. And the rug was worn through, the pad was worn through, and the wood was concaved. He had spent so many hours, uh, literally three to five hours, before he did anything, 
he'd spend that much time at daily in prayer. And he said, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself, but a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. Jesus came to get us out of the pit. And this passage is about an individual who has a spiritual problem. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm good to go because I'm a Christian and so the devil can't touch me. And there's some truth to that. There's possession and there's oppression. There's a difference. I don't believe a Christian can be possessed. But I certainly believe and I've witnessed that a follower of Jesus Christ can be harassed and even to the point of being oppressed. It's very different than possession. And what happens is somebody opens up a spiritual door to the enemy, to the devil and his demons through sin or even through ignorance. It could be a sin that you're just ignorant of. And so you open a spiritual door. And when you open that spiritual door, what you're doing in essence is you're giving the enemy the right. You're giving him the right to have an assignment against you. You could take anything that you know is a sin and you start dabbling in it. The Bible talks about the besetting sin. It's that sin you can't seem to kick. You love Jesus. You want to stop doing that sin and, and you have victory for time and time again, but then again you fall. It's the besetting sin. And you wonder why. You love Jesus. You're born again, but you keep going back to that sin. That besetting sin. And you wonder why. And may I suggest to you this morning that there is a possibility that you are being oppressed by a demon. Possibly. That there's an assignment against you. And that assignment came by way of a right given to the enemy. He works on rights. It's very militaristic. So when he's been given a right... Notice something about this passage, and this is truth statement number one. Demons are unclean spirits. Throughout this series, I've been giving truth statements. Number one, demons are unclean spirits. They're fallen angels. They're part of Satan's host, his army, his supernatural co-workers. But they're evil. They're unclean. They're wicked. And it's interesting that this spirit identifies... Uh, ownership. He says, this is my house. He refers to this man's life as his house. There's ownership there which indicates a right for him to be there. Did you make the connection there? This is my house, so he's got a right to be there. But at some point, we don't know exactly how it happened. This man cleaned his house. That's why the spirit left. And we can assume, and that's really the best we can do, that this man, through some efforts, cleaned his house. Maybe he went to a program and learned some tools to keep the house clean. In any case, he cleaned his house, and the spirit left. It says he wandered around in those outer dark places, and then he eventually came back to his house. Again, ownership. This man may have cleaned his house, but he didn't invite a tenant that needed to be there. You hear me? He didn't invite Jesus to come and fill that void, that empty place. 
He cleaned his house through maybe acts of reform, quitting, doing something, going a different direction. But he never filled that space with Christ. There's something powerful about the blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's the most powerful force in the universe, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this man, he cleaned his house. He kicked the habit. He did something that caused this demon to leave for just a short period of time. Uh, true statement number two is this, demons seek a place to dwell. The second part of verse 43 says, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. And so these waterless places, really it's figurative language that represents barrenness, desolation, extreme discomfort. And, and, and yet he, it says he's seeking rest. In the original text language, it's implying that this demon is looking for a place of greater satisfaction than where he had once been. Other passages in the New Testament we could go to, we don't have time, indicate that these demons really desire to manifest themselves in humans or even animals. We see that throughout the New Testament. But the thing that we've got to keep in mind here, that we have to keep in mind here, is that this demon spirit wanted to go back to what he calls his house. And he, so there's an ownership there. And I go back to what I was sharing with you, and I want to move quickly on this, but I want you to understand something very important. There's ownership there. He has a right to be there. He's been given a right to be there, whether knowingly given the right or ignorantly given a right, out of ignorance, just not knowing. And so that's where you and I sometimes find ourselves. When we sin, not all sins lead to demons harassing us, but some do. And so, some indicate uh, an assignment that the enemy has against you. Again, I go back to, I defer back to what I said earlier if you are struggling with a sin or sins, a besetting sin that you can't seem to kick, there could be an indication that you are oppressed by a demon or demon spirits. And all the reforming and all the cleanup and all the sweep up and sanitizing you may do on the outside is not going to take care of the initial problem. It's like medication. Don't take this out of context. A lot of medications don't cure the issue. They, they treat the symptom. We agree on that? And, and so they, they, don't, they don't get to the root of the issue. And a lot of times when we try to reform our behavior and change our ways on our own or through things that we learn, we're not getting to the heart of the issue. And if the heart of the issue is the enemy's been given a right to work in your life, whether you knew you gave that right or not. That's the issue that needs to be dealt with. I told first service at the end, I said, I don't want to leave you hanging here because some of you are going to leave thinking, I think I'm being harassed by enemies, by, by the devil, according to the pastor's message. What do I do now? I don't want to end the service with you thinking like, what do I do now? I want to guide you in what to do now. True statement number three, keep your house clean in Christ. That's what you do now. 
Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell there. And the last state, the last state of the person, he, had, he was bad off before when he had a demon oppressing him. But that was his last state. Now it's worse with seven more that were more evil than the first. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will this evil generation be. There's a word that uh, the gospel writer uses, katakeo, katakeo, and it means to live. And it's an interesting word because uh, it's used by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 where it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that Christ may dwell. When you become born again, the Spirit of God dwells. You have, actually have Jesus living within you. That's why you hear Christians say it's not a, a religion, it's a relationship. It's very much a relationship because Christ is living within you. That's that word katakeo, living within, in the context of you. And that same word is used here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12 where the demon is living in or attached to. Now, in the context of being Christians, I don't believe a Christian can be possessed, but I believe a Christian could be harassed. I believe a Christian could be oppressed when they open up spiritual doors. And I want to close with this because we're going to roll right into our baptisms. I, I want to just say to you that, that there is something more powerful. It, it's the love of God it's what Jesus did on the cross. He died on the cross. And you know and I know that He took on all of our sins on the cross. That's what the Bible says. And a lot of preachers and teachers stop right there. And it doesn't stop right there. Jesus not only took our sin on the cross, Jesus took on our infirmities, our iniquities. Did you realize that? Our sickness, our struggles. He took that on as well, on the cross. He took it on Himself on the cross. When He died on the cross, He didn't stay there. He rose on the third day. Thank God for that. Can you say thank God? Thank God for that. And so, not only do we have salvation through Jesus, forgiveness of sins, but we are free from the things that the enemy would try to do. And so, if you've opened up a door, willingly or unwillingly, I know somebody who actually invited Satan to come into their life. They were going through rebellion. And they said, say, you know, I don't even want to say it, but they said that. And, and, uh, and yet they're serving the Lord now. Maybe you've done something s silly like that, dangerously silly. You've opened up the door. Maybe you've dabbled in... And in, in witchcraft, and you might say, witchcraft? Yeah, astrology, going to a, a palm reader, um, entertaining things like that, being in, 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 in arenas or places in situations where demonic activity is taking place and, and condoning it uh, is opening yourself up for spiritual activity that you do not want. And so a door's been opened. The enemy puts his foot in that, door, that crack and he sticks it there. He's been given a right. And we know the attribute of the enemy is to rob, to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, right? That, he's good at that. That's what he wants to do. So if he can take somebody who has Christ in their heart and throw booby traps into their life, 
distract them with all kinds of distractions. So the Christian's living a less life, not living an abundant life, not walking in the promises of God. That needs to be dealt with. And I want to deal with it right now. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you've opened up doors. Maybe your family opened up doors. I mean, there were doors opened up when I was a kid. We weren't extremely religious, and we had seances and Ouija boards and all those kinds of things. They sold those at the toy store. Maybe you experienced that. Doors get open, and, and, and those doors need to be closed. What happens is the enemy needs to be stripped of his right that he was given to work in your life. And whether you agree with this or not, it's, that's not the issue. The issue is there's a spiritual war going on. Paul addressed this with a chapter in Ephesians chapter 6 about spiritual warfare. Why would we need spiritual armor if there has or was not spiritual warfare? He says, you wrestle not with flesh and blood. Did you realize that maybe you're not fighting with your wife? Maybe you're not fighting with your coworker. Maybe you're not fighting with your husband or your friend. Maybe there's a spiritual war going on. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Maybe it's the enemy just trying to destroy your relationship. So, Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and there are people here who have, are, have gone through life situations. They've had victories and they've had some failures. They've possibly even opened up doors to the enemy's activity unknowingly. And so, Lord, we lift that up to you. And, and God, we pray with declaration and confidence that your word is true. There's nothing more powerful than the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so, God, any doors that have been opened, in fact, I want you to personalize this. This is so important. If you feel the need to pray this, pray it out loud. I'm not forcing anybody to do anything that they're not comfortable with. Pray this out loud. Jesus, I come before you. And I surrender my whole entire life to you. Every door that I've opened to the enemy, knowingly or unknowingly, every assignment that the enemy has against me, every right that he has to work against me, I render ineffective by the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray the blood of Jesus Christ over my head, all the way to my toes, my thoughts, what I see, what I receive, and all efforts of the enemy are done. You're gone. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, listen, if you prayed that.
prayer with earnest and boldness and confidence, knowing that God's word is true. You declare your victory in Jesus' name. The, the enemy is good at what he does. He's a liar. He's a thief. And he'll try to trip you up and, and tell you, hey, that prayer's powerless. And you just remind him, no, I have victory. Get out of here. Don't mess with me. Just don't mess with me. You have no right. I'm one of the king's kids. And the blood of Jesus covers me. That's the kind of conversation you have. And don't dance with the devil. Just don't dance with him. What does that mean? If you know something that's not holy, if you know something that could open a spiritual door of evil, don't open the door. Don't go near the door. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, listen, the praise team's going to lead us in some music, and we're going to get ready for baptisms. You guys ready? Let's worship the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet.